create you know, a sort of a fully formed fake personality, have him or her appear as an influencer and potentially you know, sort of earning money, getting freebies, uh, you know, and, and, and so on and so on and so forth. Hello and welcome to another episode of Promote the Hell Out of It. My name is Misael Trujillo and this is the podcast where I talk to guests about subjects worth promoting, understanding and talking about. And this episode is obviously no exception. I talked to the wonderful Dirk Singer, senior content, digital and marketing professional as well as an aviation specialist. Dirk is currently creative director at Simply Flying, a consulting firm that specializes in aviation marketing and innovation. And this actually includes editing the world's only aviation trade marketing magazine, Airline Marketing Monthly. In the past, Dirk was also head of Rabbit, an agency that grew from three people to social media agency of the year with 25 campaign awards under its belt. And Dirk was personally responsible for running campaigns for AVG, Gatwick Airport, Air China, Skrill, and that's just to name a few. So obviously this conversation was going to be really important and really interesting, but even more so because Dirk has some experience when it comes to buying fake engagement, buying fake followers, creating fake influences, and showing people how easy this is to do and the problems with doing so. And we live in a society where this phenomenon of vanity numbers of buying fake engagement is so prevalent. So talking about the pitfalls of doing so is a really important part of this conversation. And this also leads on to talking about the problems with companies working with influencers who have often been buying these fake followers or are involved with this, as opposed to putting value on the content creation side of things. So yes, I would definitely recommend taking notes, especially if you're interested in marketing or if you've got a business, a product, an idea that you're trying to push, that you're trying to market online, this will give you some really good tips to do so. And before we jump into the conversation, this episode is sponsored by our good friends at Nextstand EU. And Nextstand have engineered one of the most, most highly adjustable and portable laptop stands on the market. We've been using it as digital nomads and it's absolutely amazing. If you follow me on Instagram, there's going to be lots of examples of how I've been using it recently, but you can read about their products in the description for the podcast episode below and also get a nice little discount code. So without any further ado, here is my episode with Dirk Singer. Dirk, I am so happy to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm good and thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So... I think it's a good idea to start talking about uh, Bob Golan, the uh, infamous influencer, and what happened with him at last year's Aviation Festival, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so at Simply Flying, we, we run regular um, events around the world for, um, for airline marketers, and we call them um, Aviation Marketing Labs, in which we explore you know, a number of issues of interest to people who are working in the airline industry. And one of them is obviously is influencers because, you know, because airlines and also airports work with, uh, you know, work with influencers a lot, be it on, you know, destination marketing or, you know, to showcase new, you know, sort of airline cabins or what have you. And one of the themes we've been exploring, um, you know, over the past few labs is, you know, is try to, is try to get around the, you know, the idea of, you know, of where people still look at vanity metrics, um, you know, especially when it comes to influencers. And we wanted to show how easy it is to sort of to, um, uh, you know, to sort of to game the system. Now, 
everyone knows, you know, there's been a lot of coverage that you can, you know, you can go on Google and you can buy, you know, likes and followers and what have you, uh, you know, within, you know, within, within 30 seconds of, of looking. And I wanted to take this one stage further. And I thought, well, can I actually create, you know, sort of a completely fictitious, uh, you know, personality, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, have him, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, promoted to the audience as a, you know, as a so-called influencer they would want to work with. So what I did was I went on to, you know, I did, I went on to Google again um, and again, and there are websites, um, you know, where you can see where you can, you know, where there are exchanges where you can buy and sell um, fully fledged Instagram accounts. Um, and um, and I went on to um, actually a sort of a website called Player Up, which is um, which is mainly used for gamers. Um, you know how a lot of gamers, you know, if they want to sort of get to a different level, and they buy characters or they buy skills, etc., etc. But you can also buy, you know, as I discovered, social media accounts on this. Um, and it's a you know it's a totally legitimate system. You don't get scammed. You know your money is held in a you know is is held in a sort of in a in a in a in a, in a pot before you know before the goods are delivered. So I did it this way, and, I, and there was this Russian guy on there um, who was selling this account and other accounts, um, and he had this, you know, this 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 travel-related Instagram account, um, and he was selling it for, you know, which at the time was actually very cheap because I gather that it's more expensive. It was sixty-five dollars, so you know, what is it, forty-five, fifty quid, um, and I bought it from him, and um, you know, obviously the, you know, at the time um, Bob had about. 12,500 followers. Um, he had about you know, maybe sort of 25, 30 pictures, and these pictures they were all stock photography. Um, you know, so they were they were they were pictures taken off somewhere else of famous landmarks or famous beaches or of you know alpine ski resorts or so on and so forth. And each of these pictures had you know about a thousand thousand likes, and they had you know various comments. Those comments were all you know obviously emojis or thumbs up or you know sort of one or two word answers. Um, and I took Bob over, and we told the gathering that you know that this uh, that this 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 big influencer Bob he'd be coming along, he'd be giving a talk. Um, you know, would people want to work with him? Um, quite a few people, you know, amongst our group of airline marketers followed him beforehand. Um, obviously, you know, the sort of the 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 appointed time where Bob was going to turn up um, came and went, um, and there was no Bob, which is when I kind of then introduced the whole experiment to sort of to show you know how easy it is not only to sort of to buy um uh you know likes and followers um of the internet but to create you know a sort of a fully formed fake personality um have him or her appear as an influencer and potentially you know sort of earning money getting freebies um you know and and, and so on and so on and so forth and what was the reaction when when you actually explained what you were doing um i think people were quite surprised as i said i don't think people <laughs> realized that you know you could go to the extent of actually you know, sort of buying, you know, sort of a fully formed account like that. Um, you know, I hope it provided people obviously with some food for thought to sort of to do a bit more due diligence of who it is, um, who they um, work with. And obviously, as I said, the sort of the, the common theme that I always try and push is, um, you know, is to stop marketers looking at the big number, um, you know, which for a variety of reasons, even today, they, they, they still do. Um, but, you know, but this is obviously quite a sort of a seductive thing, because as you know yourself, you know, that you can, if you have 10, 20,000 followers, you know, you start reaching the stage where, you know, you can almost start making a living from this. Um, you know, and it's very, very easy for someone to, you know, to go into one of these exchanges, even if you're paying, you know, $200 rather than $65, which I did for this account. You know, a lot of people would still find that, you know, a good investment to sort of to cheat the system and to... Uh, you know, and to provide a bit of a bit of a bit of a shortcut for you. 
Well, that's the thing. There was an article a while ago that you'd mentioned in, in an article you wrote uh, that said something along the lines that if you had 10,000 followers, you could be earning £15,000 a year. And if that went up to 100,000, that went up to £150,000 a year. So that's obviously very enticing for people to, to look into being able to buy these fake fake engagement, fake followers, any of that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, not only, I mean, you know, I mean, that 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 study about earning money was, you know, was was done by a third party agency. So, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I'm not sure if those figures are, are, you know, are completely accurate. But the fact of the matter is, you know, working in the travel space myself, I mean, I know full well that I've not always, uh, you know, looked too closely at someone's, you know, at someone's um, numbers before giving them free flights, which is, you know, which is not a not an easy, you know, not a, you know, not a, not a difficult ask to go to an airline to say, you know, I see you're promoting route X, I can do you some coverage for it, you know, will you give me and my partner what have you a free flight to wherever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if, if the stats are correct or not, because what matters is that they were written somewhere and people are reading this and it gives them a reason to, to act on it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, completely. And it's not the first time you've you've played with the idea of buying engagement either, because you did something in Singapore too, where you bought views for a video you'd created. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I mean, that was uh, again sort of a similar. I mean, the thinking behind it was 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 similar to sort of to get people to look behind the numbers. Um, and you know, we had our we had our marketing lab in Singapore. We filmed, you know, sort of just a warm-up exercise, which was a, um, you know, a mock airline evacuation for the people in the in the hall. You know, just just a bit of fun. We filmed it in the morning. Um, we shoved it onto Instagram and YouTube. I then, you know, sort of bought about, you know, sort of thirty thousand views during during the day, and then we showed it to the attendees at the end of the day to show how easy something like this could be, you know, could be made to go quote unquote viral. And again, did. Was it similar kind of reaction? Were people surprised at the fact that it was that easy? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I think everyone now knows that, um, you know, that this is this is quite a simple thing to do. Um, but, you know, but but again, you would hope that it would, you know, sort of provide, you know, some kind of food for thought and to make people, you know, sort of think about this a little, little bit more. And, you know, and you and you and you and again, and you understand why this happens. I mean, there's been a lot of focus on Instagram, but the fact of the matter is, you know, I mean, this problem exists. You know, you can buy anything across any network, across any number. Um, you know, I mean, you name it, it's there. So if we take YouTube for an example, um, you know, I mean, I've worked in the agency world myself, obviously, you know, and I understand the pressure that there is, you know, when a client gets something from their internal clients or from a boss, you know, higher up who says, you know, I want this video to go viral. Um, and your account is, you know, and your account, and I guess, you know, by extension, your, 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 your salary and part of your earnings, um, you know, de- depends on it. And, you know, and how many people wouldn't be tempted? And I think a lot of people are, even if they don't admit to it, to think, you know what, I want to keep this piece of business. Um, you know, uh, uh, why don't I just do this just so I don't get fired? It's true. It's true. And we'll get on to the issues with doing that kind of stuff in a bit. But something you mentioned is that people know it's going on. And I agree, but I'm not sure everyone's aware of the extent to which it happens. And I loved uh, this study, which was one of the articles you mentioned, and it was something like 57% of accounts have some kind of AI engagement or following going on. That's a huge right. number. And I think that's what people really don't don't get sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that, that particular study, I mean, obviously it doesn't mean that 57% of accounts are, are fake, 
but it does mean that you know that that as you say that a lot of uh, I mean this particular study was done you know it was done world worldwide and it's done on Instagram um, you know have at some point in time um, you know done something as basic as you know obviously you're aware of the follow unfollow method um, you know which you can automate to you know sort of to all the way down to actually you know sort of buying um, you know buying fake accounts and, and fake likes. And something that you mentioned before was the term vanity metrics and for the sake of, of listeners could you maybe explain that a little bit? Well I mean a, 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 a vanity metric is, is obviously is just a big number that looks good um, but that is uh, but that is essentially meaningless. Um, I mean I'll give you a concrete example you know sort of in an earlier agency I worked with a um, with a consumer software company, um, and this was, you know, I would say as long ago as sort of seven eight years ago. But this was still going on, and at the time, my client's boss, and um, this was the COO of that particular company, said he wanted, you know, a million um, a million Facebook fans. Now you question to yourself why a million? You know, what is the significance of a million? Well, the sort of the you know the, the honest answer is a million just sounds good, right? It's one of these big round numbers and you can boast about it. You can say we have a million fans and we're famous, etc., etc. So said client, what he actually did, you know, because again, you know, he wasn't going to turn around and tell his boss and say, you know, well, why do you want a million? It's not possible and we don't have the money for it, etc., etc. He actually ran ads in places like, um, I think, you know, sort of Indonesia, the Philippines, um, you know, Bangladesh, um, you know, where obviously you can pick up, um, you know, you can pick up followers for pennies basically just to get you know the sort of the guy upstairs um you know his 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 million followers and to get that vanity metric to make him feel good of course yeah and i wanted to touch on the kind of companies that are doing this because uh it's not just small independent people all the time is it there's there was some suspicion for example about a a video that Air China put out a while ago, Land Your Dream, right. and how well that did compared to everyone else. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's difficult to prove, um, but I mean that particular. Of course. <laughs> but I mean that. But I mean that 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 particular video. You know, I mean, it was a sort of it was a standard, um, uh, you know, YouTube ad, which you know, which showed passengers in various, uh, you know, in various, if you like, sort of uplifting and aspirational situations, and showed how you know how Air China you know, sort of fulfilled their dreams and made everything possible, you know, from the, you know, from the family who was being reunited to the person who was giving a sort of a, uh, you know, a speech at a business conference in China. You know, it was it was okay, but it was nothing special. And it got, at the time, um, you know, had it been legitimate, it would have easily been like in the top 10, you know, sort of airline, um, uh, uh, you know, video views of, you know, certainly of the, you know, of the, of the, of, of the past decade. Um, so that sort of thing, you know, even though you can't prove anything, it does sometimes make you question, you know, of what's uh, of what's going on. Let's touch on the issues. What what is the problem with with going down this route of buying fake followers? Well, I mean, the the the, the problem, of course, is is that well, I mean, the the the. The ethical issue aside, I mean, let's sort of deal with the business yeah. issue. I mean, the, the the business issue is that it's largely meaningless. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you as a business, I mean, if you're working with someone and that person has, you know, 100,000 followers, but, you know, if those 100,000 followers, 80,000 aren't real, then they're not delivering any kind of value to you. You know, so you're paying for, you know, so you're paying for a fictitious, um, a fictitious number, but nothing else. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I sort of once you start getting into the business of, um, you know, sort of buying fake engagement, you have to keep going. Um, so clearly, if you have, you know, let's say, you know, for sake of argument, 100,000 um, 100, followers and 80,000 of those are fake, 
um, then your likes number is not going to appear, um, uh, you know, uh, it's not going to seem real. So you then have to sort of to carry on topping up. So once you sort of you start going down this road, it's actually quite difficult to stop, which is obviously why, you know, sort of um, Facebook's announcement that it's going to looking at, you know, sort of removing visible likes altogether from Instagram, and I gather now maybe also from, from Facebook, may well, you know, sort of partially solve that particular problem. Um, because if no one can see that you've got, you know, sort of one like or a thousand likes, then it means the emphasis will be much less on that, you know, on that on that number. And what about future proving as well? Because a lot of these systems are incorporating better ways of actually finding and, and deleting these numbers. So brands can go from having ridiculous followings to suddenly having half of that disappear overnight. They can, but, you know, but a lot of cynics would suggest that you know, that the major social media companies are, they're of course aware of the problem, um, but it's not on their interest to sort of to crack down on this quite as, of course. Much, quite as, quite as much as they can. Because, you know, when you think of a sort of, a, you know, of a social network and you say that you have, you know, sort of 500 million, uh, um, you know, users, for lack of a better word, and then it comes out that, you know, the 25% of those users aren't real. Well, you know, are you really going to go to your shareholders and to say, you know, sort of, mm, yeah, well, we don't actually have 500 million users, we only have 300 million users, and then to go to advertisers who are, you know, spending money with you based on the 500 million user figure, and to say to them, well, you know what, 25 to 30 percent of that, you know, of that uh, uh, money that you're paying is wasted. Um, so, you know, that there, there is an argument that the social networks aren't doing everything that they can because it's not in their interest to do so because once they start you know showing lower numbers then that of course affects their you know affects their share price and you know raises all sorts of business yeah. business questions yeah of course and then to to just mention the ethical issues uh, i think it, it's quite visible that this is being done on such a large scale that it's affecting not just the way people choose to run their companies but also the politics of different countries and i think it's quite visible with What's happened with Trump and Brexit, for example? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, sort of, I'm not an, you know, I'm not an, an, an expert by any means in sort of in, you know, in information pollution um, in, the, in the in the in the political sphere. But but indeed, I mean, it's a, it's a you know it's a common problem. I mean, you spend 15 minutes on Twitter engaging on you know particular on things like Brexit and what have you, and you can see it um, immediately. I mean, I know it's kind of going off topic a little bit, but we've had a lot of talk recently about Cambridge Analytica right. and and how they're using information and and I think it is all kind of linked because it's it's bringing into question what is right to do with with your business and if suddenly it's okay to to give information away and buy information and then everything's go and people don't second guess buying 100,000 followers to look better yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I completely, I completely agree with you. You know, it's a sort of, it's, 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 it, it, the whole industry has sort of has acquired a sort of a momentum of its own, which is, you know, which is, which is quite difficult to um, to stop. Um, I mean, in the commercial space rather than the political space, you know, I think the answer is, is that we have to, you know, sort of view these numbers differently and view how we work with influencers differently and apply different, cri- you know, criteria. Absolutely. And I want to go on to talking about influencers. But before we do, um, 
And before people get too annoyed and start looking into brands, will anyone be 100% clear of bots? Almost certainly no, um, because, uh, you know, because because if you have, you know, sort of a large Instagram account, or if you have a large Facebook brand account, you know, you will almost inevitably, you know, sort of attract, um, um, you know, sort of, uh, fake or you know sort of or empty profiles because obviously the people who you know who set these up um, which are obviously done on an industrial scale they 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 have them follow certain hashtags and certain users just to sort of to start filling out their own profile of course of course yeah and is there anything people can be doing to, to try and clean up their accounts um, I mean there are various um, uh, uh, you know sort of third-party um, uh, you know, pieces of software out there, um, you know, which remove ghost accounts. Um, you know, I guess the most effective way, though, if, you, if you're trying to earn a living in this space, is just to make your account private, um, because then you can't be followed. But clearly, you know, if you're running your account for part commercial reasons rather than personal reasons, that's not a viable strategy to sort of for you to adopt. And then leading on to the other issue with this side of things, which is that companies are looking at people's statistics and then choosing people to work with. Uh, and calling these people influencers in this scenario as opposed to another word that I know you like and I love content creators. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll sort of give you give you a concrete example from the, you know, sort of from the industry, obviously, that I know very well from the airline industry. Um, the magazine that I um, edit, um, Airline Marketing Monthly, which is obviously a trade magazine in this, in this space, um, we featured um, Lufthansa on our cover of the current issue. One is for a recycling initiative, but for the second reason, they've recently started working with um, for you know quite major YouTubers to produce um, videos around their um, in-flight shopping collection. Um, and these YouTubers, you know, they they do like little clips where they review different products and give an overview of different products. Um, now, these YouTubers who they've who they've worked with, I mean, they do have large numbers. You know, one of them is, for example, is a YouTuber called Mr. Who's the Boss, who's the UK's largest tech YouTuber. But looking beyond the numbers, I mean, one of the things that I observe is that for me, this 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 whole exercise works for two reasons. You know, I talk about credibility, and I talk about content. You know, are these people you know credible in their in their space? And the answer is yes. Um, you know, so they work with a beauty um, uh, uh, YouTuber and vlogger who's very influential and knowledgeable in the space, and she has a community, and you can see that, and they engage with her. You know, and she knows her stuff. Um, same with Mister Who's the Boss when it comes to sort of um, um, tech reviews. And so there's credibility, and there's content. Um, you know, sort of, can they tell your story or produce content that's of a high enough um, quality and high enough standard that matches in with with what your brand, you know, tries tries to do? So yes, I prefer the word content creator. I hate the word influencer, um, and I try not to use it um, where possible. And how about the the concept of how people view these adverts? Do you think people are like you mentioned the Lufthansa one, for example, and I think it is a really good example of working with influencers. But there are still issues, for example, it's very difficult to be negative about a product when you're getting paid by the company. Of course. Do you think people are getting bored of that and seeing for it now? Um, I mean, sometimes yes. Um, in this particular instance, it works. I mean, obviously these aren't, you know, what these four YouTubers did for Lufthansa. I mean, they're not you know, they're not reviews, they're essentially advertorials. Um, because obviously, because you're not going to, you know, because you're not going to do a negative 
you know, sort of review of a shopping product that Lufthansa is essentially trying to yeah. sort of to, to sell to its to, you know, to its customers um, as part of the um, you know as part of the in-flight duty free collection. However, having said that, um, you know, I think that there are ways, and the people who Lufthansa has worked with managed to do it quite well, to sort of to accentuate certain you know uh, certain features of the product that you know that. That target customers would enjoy more than you know more than more than others. So it doesn't have to look like a like a like a straightforward ad, um, you know. Which in this case with these four YouTubers, it doesn't, um, you know. And in some cases, like for example, you know, sort of the tech reviews that Lufthansa has produced, you know, they have a you know one of the one of the items is a pair of high end um, uh, you know noise cancelling um, headphones. Um, and uh, you know, and and they're called not cheap. And I think that you know that for anyone who's 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 buying them, well, that would be self-evident. Um, you know, because obviously, because you do get people traveling in premium cabins, you know, who are willing to buy you know premium prices from premium products. But that's a helpful piece of information. You know, that if you are on a budget, that maybe you want to look at something else. I um, mean, you know, that's more along your your price range. And are there other ways you think that are as effective at the moment, or is going the content creator influence away the best way to to sell products right now well i mean obviously you know sort of if you work with you know if you work with with content creators you know and they and they and they bring you credibility you know so they bring you their expertise and they bring you you know sort of a community and they bring you value um, then that's enormously effective clearly um you know you can't only do that in isolation but that has to be part of a you know part of an overall you know sort of um, marketing plan with sort of with 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 other tactics and other platforms and other elements built in and can i ask you do you think that there's a cultural issue right now with using influencers or content creators even and paying them using the budget that route as opposed to rewarding customers who would in term for the same kind of budget cause as much stir as these influences. Right. So you mean like sort of like 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 user generated content type, you know, sort of um uh you know sort of Yeah, campaign. gifting actual fans, for example. Yeah, I mean I think that sort of yes, I mean I think that that, that you know that both work really well together. Um uh you know sort of to I mean I see it on you know to give you an example on Instagram, I've got a, a new Android phone from a Chinese company called Realme, um, which is which is part from part of Oppo, um, and they're doing exactly that. Well, actually, they're doing both. I mean, they are, you know, they have a global ph- photography competition, um, you know, which the prize I think something like ten thousand dollars and the trip to trip to China, something like that. Um, you know, so quite a high prize. They have a group of um, you know photo experts, um, you know, who look quite uh, you know credible and quite knowledgeable judging this, um, you know, who are putting their name to it. But um, it's it's the you know it's the ordinary mobile phone users, people like myself, who are being encouraged to sort of to enter, to take photos, to sort of to tag it, to share it, and so on and so forth. So that's actually quite a good example with what Realme is doing, of how you know of how both the the content expert um, and the sort of and the you know and the ordinary users can work quite you know quite well together. It's you know it's obviously quite a simple tactic. Um, you know it's not hugely creative, um, but I think it's it's quite effective. And sometimes the most effective things don't have to be wildly creative in the first place. No, it's true, and I I think that those kind of examples really accentuate how companies have this power to to help shift and create a culture with with what they're doing and whilst making money uh, and it's really nice to see examples like that done well 
are there any other examples you think of, of companies who are who are combining content creation and and rewarding customers in, in a good way yeah i mean in the in the tourism space i mean certain tourism australia um you know is a company that you know that uh that's often held amongst tourism boards as sort of to be the gold standard in terms of producing you know sort of visual content great visual content to sort of to showcase australia which is obviously even though i've never been um you know i gather sort of is you know is an amazing and very sort of photogenic um destination um you know and they draw heavily on you know sort of on user generated imagery of people using their hashtags you know as a way of sort of of rewarding people who've been there which then sort of obviously gets into a virtual cycle because you know you might go to let's say to perth or to sydney what have you you might upload pictures you might tag tourism australia in it um you know they reward you by sort of by you know showcasing it on their own feed which has you know sort of millions of fans and followers you get more exposure and your own you know sort of friends and you know and your own social media community sees it at the same time absolutely yeah that's really really good um and considering the conversation we've had about fake followers if someone's thinking about using an influencer content creator in a campaign how should they go about starting to vet them yeah i mean um you know i mean there are um you know again sort of various pieces of um of third-party um, software out there where, you know, I mean, they're not foolproof, but they will give you, um, you know, sort of an idea of, um, uh, you know, of, 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 of how they rank and, you know, whether there's any suspicions attached to them. Um, there are some paid-for ones, but on, in, but on Instagram, one free one is, is, is igaudit.io. Um, and that will, you know, that will give you a quick snapshot of someone's followers. Um, I think it's accurate to 8%. Um, but that's kind of good enough because, you know, because obviously, you know, if someone has, you know, if someone shows, um, uh, let's say, you know, sort of 50% real followers, well, you know, the fact that it, you know, the fact that that could vary from 42% to 58% still kind of gives you sort of an, an, an idea of what's going on. But beyond that, as I said, I come back to the credibility and the content theme, you know, sort of are they, you know, are they demonstrated in being credible in the area which you're trying to target? Um, you know, do they actually know what they're talking about? And do they have a community where you can see with your own eyes who, you know, who value their expertise and their advice? And secondly, is the content not only of a high enough uh, quality, but of the type that will, that fits into whatever it is that your, you know, that your, your brand is um, doing. And do you think brands have a, a responsibility to, to some degree, focus on quality of content over statistics, and I mean this in terms of it's uh, considering the the climate we're facing globally at the moment, uh, with so much attention being drawn to minorities. We know that there's there's a lot of money that is it's it's easier for people, for example, in the West to create videos, put them out, and instantly have a lot of friends and a lot of fans who follow these. So do you think brands have a responsibility to be pushing the, the right kind of content creators? Absolutely. And, um, you know, and once you start, you know, sort of focusing away from the, um, you know, from the big number and from the vanity metric, you know, then the, then the range of possibilities and the type of people who you can work with, um, you know, really expands, as you say, and you can start looking beyond, you know, for lack of a better word, the usual suspects, um, you know, who you might normally be doing and drawing out people who can, you know, who might come from, you know, places that you don't normally work with, but who can tell your story in a, in a, in a much better way. So I think that that's a good point. 
That's excellent. And, and are, are there any companies that, that come to mind that are doing this well? Uh, uh, I would have to look into that. I mean, I mean, I'm not off the not off the top of my. I mean, I'm sure there are some, um, but right now here, I can't. You know, I can't think of any as example. Well, no, that's great. So, if any listeners can think of any, I I think it would be great to to know about them because I'd be interested in in reading up about that. Um, so, the next thing I wanted to touch on is uh, you've mentioned the importance of good content creation. Are there any trends you can see that are currently uh, top at the top of the list for type of content creators that are being used? I would say that you know that 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 from what I see from the type of campaigns that I see that they're not that different in terms of form of what they were, let's say, three or four years ago. Um, you know, especially you know sort of uh, uh, in terms of factoring on you know on visual content with sort of with Instagram um, and YouTube being um, being 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 top I mean obviously as you're aware um, you know sort of one of the biggest um, social networks for you know for um, for so-called influencers is now TikTok um, I mean the area in which I work in the sort of the airline aviation industry as yet hasn't started working with you know with uh, um, with TikTok creators, I think that because there's a feeling that the demographic might be slightly too young. Um, but of course, I do know that, you know, sort of that amongst some other sectors, like in like soft drinks and music, for example, and fashion, um, you know, companies are starting to work more and more with, um, uh, you know, with sort of with TikTok creators. Um, two other things, I mean, obviously there is, um, you know, sort of um, gaming, um, you know, not only Twitch, but, you know, but sort of, but starting to, you know, sort of to place content within games. That's been a thing for, you know, for the, for the, for, you know, for the, for the past few years. Um, Patreon, um, which, as you know, is the, um, you know, is a sort of, is the network where people, um, you know, can, um, you know, can show exclusive content for a select group of fans who will pay, you know, sort of quite small amounts of money um, to get access to that content is also interesting. And actually, that's a good way of ensuring that the fans who you reach are actually committed um, because they're real and they're paying and they're paying money for it. Um, AI, which you mentioned, is, um, you know, is, of course, hugely interesting. Um, you know, and I'm aware that there are a number of, of experiments, for example, in the music industry where people have uploaded, um, you know, AI-generated tracks onto Spotify um, just to see how it how it would um, it would it would work basically. Yeah, uh, are you a Black Mirror fan? Uh, I I do watch it now and again. Yes. Okay. H- have you watched the latest the latest season? I have not yet. No. Okay, I won't give you any spoilers, but there's an episode that touches on on AI within music and AI generated tracks that is amazing and you should watch. Wow. I was thinking about. I was going to email you it and then I was like, I need to mention it in the podcast. Wow. Well, of course, I mean, there are, you know, there are a number of services now out there, which, you know, which will, you know, which will give you AI generated tracks for free, um, you know, that you can use in, you know, that you can use in, let's say, the sort of the background music if you're producing a sort of um, corporate YouTube video, which is, of course, ex- an extension of the fact that, um, you know, just the other day, this huge website of, I think, 100,000 um, AI generated images um, uh, of human beings yes, came out. I was reading that. Yes. And, uh, and, and obviously, one of the, um, you know, one of the conversations that came from that was that this is a, you know, sort of uh, a way to disrupt the business of the large, um, you know, uh, stock photo libraries, you know, who will charge you, you know, what is it, sort of, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds for, you know, for sort of a picture of a, of a, of a human being. Absolutely. And then that links back to our initial conversation. How much easier does that to make it to fake a person? Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, I mean, it's sort of, I think that's sort of one of the things I was, I was, I was wondering is that when these, 
you know, when these fake AI-generated sites of people came up, is that it must make the job of the bot farms, the people who, who create these, a lot easier because. Obviously, at the moment, you know, a lot of these, uh, um, a lot of these fake profiles, they've used images of people that have essentially been stolen off, off, you know, off the web. Um, and you can do, you can very often do a reverse image search, you know, sort of to find out where that original image actually appeared, you know, using tin eye or sort of or something like that. Um, but uh, but if you've got AI generated imagery, then sure, you can, you know, you can create a whole persona from scratch without any sort of trace that that person isn't actually real. And it's funny how many problems all these new technologies uh, bring around to to every kind of aspect of marketing. Um, I was reading you you tweeted or retweeted about AI being used in job interviews uh, in the UK, and I thought that was was really funny because obviously that has so many problems by design. Um, non-native English speakers were, were completely out of the equation of this. Absolutely. So, I mean, did no one think of that before putting this into the test? Well, I mean, I think it's one of these things that, you know, sort of that, uh, um, that you have to wonder, you know, at which stage does the sort of, does the AI revolution, for lack of a better word, and, you know, and making everything automated, making everything, um, you know, dependent on an, on, an, on, an, on an algorithm. At which point does it, does, you know, does it go too far? And at which point you say, such as, as you say in this example, where, you know, where the algorithm screens out people who, you know, who are not native English speakers because obviously their language skills, you know, they might not sound exactly the same as someone who's a native English speaker will will sound. You need a sort of a form of human intervention to, you know, sort of to filter the, that out. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that there's there's an element of companies needing to to hold back before jumping into these kind of technologies to actually see how they develop a bit? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like with anything, you know, you sort of you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose that you're trying to achieve? You know, are you just doing it, you know, sort of a first mover advantage or because you think you can get some PR value out of it? Yeah. Um, you know, or does it actually sort of match a business case? Um, you know, and is it uh, is it proven and, and, and tested? You know, as, as as you you know, as you know, sort of working in the space, a lot of brands will do this because they will see a certain amount of PR value in you know, sort of getting it out first. Of course, and I guess that brings it back to what we were talking about before: the ethical questions that come into business. Um, from my point of view, a business should be providing value to the customers. So if they're gambling with what they're doing, that's not really what what they're intended to be doing as a business. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree. Okay, so the, the next thing I kind of wanted to touch on was uh, the outcome that could come about from, from this going too far. So we've talked about AI and we've talked about fake followers. What do you think could be worst case scenario of where this leads? Well, I mean, I think the sort of that, you know, that 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 where this is leading and you know you mentioned politics before and you see it in the political space is you know is sort of is information pollution um, and people not you know sort of not trusting what they see and what they hear um, you know and the sort of and that of course will mean that if you're a brand that your brand messages will become you know sort of less and less um, effective over you know over time yeah I mean that that's completely true but 
do you think that could go so far as as people losing all trust in brands and it pretty much becoming obsolete i mean we can see people moving from from social media brand to social media brand but with things like facebook being on trial being so front news do you think people eventually will want to switch off to this or do you think that they're just hooked well, I mean, it's a difficult one um, because, you know, because I mean, I've been working in this industry long enough that I remember, you know, that every so often, I mean, if we take Facebook for an example, um, you know, every so often a sort of a startup comes along and it says, you know, this will be the Facebook killer, you know, and we'll, you know, we will, uh, you know, sort of protect your um, privacy and your data and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and there's a bit of noise and you read about it in the tech press and then a year on it just vanishes. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I sometimes wonder to, you know, even though there's, there's growing awareness, um, you know, to what extent are people willing to make the trade off? Because at the end of the day, you know, if you take Facebook or Instagram, what have you, if your friends are on there and your social community is on there, you know, you're not going to switch to a new network, um, you know, even if it offers, you know, sort of a gold standard in terms of, you know, how they use your, how they use your, how they use your information, if there's, if there's no one there, because then it has no, it has, it has no value to you. I mean, having said that, I mean, obviously there is a sort of a generational thing, because as you well know, you know, sort of Facebook, and I gather to a certain extent, Instagram now, now, now as well, is starting to lose, you know, and this has been a trend for the past few years, it's starting to lose younger um uh you know sort of uh users you know who are switching to networks like you know like we mentioned um you know tiktok well that's the thing and i think that there is also a generational thing of like we, we've seen it with people going vegan we've seen it with with health and how people mm. are are talking about the planet and i think there isn't a generational thing of people not wanting to even be on social media accounts like we know a lot of younger people who don't have any social media accounts right right yeah, and uh, you know, and I guess this is sort of it's a you know it's a it's a it's a wider generational shift. I mean, I bring it back to something that I write about in the aviation industry all the time. I mean, obviously, one of the the key challenges for the aviation industry is sustainability. Um, you know, because um, you know it is a very high-profile you know as an industry you know sort of, you know sort of um, um, carbon polluter basically sort of you know and. Um, and it's a real challenge for the industry to sort of to, to get to grips with that. And one of the things that I always write about is that, you know, if you take um, millennials, for example, you know, there's the stereotype that millennials have benefited and have enjoyed, um, uh, you know, cheap travel all around the world. You know, the fact that you can get, a, you know, a flight to, you know, to Madrid for a tenner, um, you know, or the, the fact that you can go to Bangkok for, you know, for sort of for 300 pounds, what have you, or to Australia for 500 pounds. I um, mean, you know, have really benefited from that. But I mean, one of the things I always emphasize to the audience that I write for is that, you know, is that we may be sort of, you know, approaching a real generational shift. And, you know, and they can't take for granted that Generation Z or even Generation A, as I believe that they're called, will feel the same way um, as, you know, as the, as, you know, as millennials or Generation X did. Um, and that's something that commercial brands as a whole have to start taking into account. I mean, obviously, the people who are, you know, who are involved in these climate change strikes are, you know, our high school students, you know, people yeah. in their um, in their teens, um, you know, and and that's something that all brands, you know, not only industry, which I would, you know, which I serve the, the travel and aviation industry, have to kind of look at how generational attitudes and opinions are, you know, are, are shifting. Of course, and how do you think brands can be future proofing for this? How do you how do you set about putting a ten year plan in for your marketing when you don't know what the shift's going to be? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's very difficult, I mean, especially if you're a publicly listed company, you know, and your priority is quarter to quarter, you know, with the share price or, 
year to year. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, again, I'll sort of, I will, you know, take the example of the industry which, you know, which, which I know the best, which is obviously, which is the, which is the airline industry. You know, it's what I've been urging companies there to do is to sort of is to do a two-pronged approach. You know, the first approach is to, you know, I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm biased because I work in this industry, but I believe that, you know, that that, that air travel has been a social good, um, you know, that it's made the world a smaller place and it's done everything from, you know, from foster various things from culture exchanges to, you know, sort of to medical advances, um, to obviously to exports, um, you know, sort of to helping the economies in various parts of the sort of, of the developing world. And I think that that has to be emphasized and that has to be, you know, sort of shown, and number one. But number two, um, you know, I think that sort of that the, um, uh, that, you know, sort of that the industry has to be much more on the front foot of showing exactly how they are taking this problem seriously um, and making a difference. Um, and I think that, you know, again, the industry that I know, the airline industry, is that they talk about these things, but they don't actually explain how they make a difference. You know, so people talk about biofuels. Well, what's a biofuel? You know, I bet that most people out there don't actually know. And what difference does a biofuel make? You know, and what difference does it make if you retire your old fleet of, you know, sort of A340s and you bring in A350s instead? You know, sort of, I mean, how much of a difference does it make? How much more, you know, sort of less of a polluter, for lack of a better word, um, does that, you know, does that, does that make you? Um, and so I think that they have to communicate in much more real, in much more clear terms and show how they are taking this problem, you know, sort of seriously, um, you know, that they are not just kind of, uh, you know, sort of doing the usual greenwash, for lack of a better word. That, that I think, that, yeah, that's really important. I was just trying to Google, I was reading about aviation, there's a company who's working on, um, on a plane who, which is going to be, I think it's 50% greener. And I can't, for the life of me, remember where I read this article right now. I'm not so sure. there's, yeah, I mean, there's another number of initiatives around this, like this around. I mean, there's a company called Wright Electric, which is working with um, yeah, EasyJet. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, and they, the goal, I believe, is to introduce a fully, you know, sort of what they call an electric plane, um, you know, so to do short haul routes. And the example that EasyJet gave is London Amsterdam, which is obviously quite a short route, um, but has a huge amount of traffic um, for the airline. And routes like that. Um, you know, sort of to move them to, you know, sort of to hybrid aircraft or, or electric aircraft. The goal is for this to be in service by 2030. Whether that's realistic, I don't know, but that's certainly the, you know, the intention. That's great. No, that's really good. And I just wanted to touch on that because uh, I think it's, it is really important to, to see both sides of the story. I think a lot of companies have a bad rep just because of social media being a bit of an echo chamber at times um, and we don't hear about the good they're doing we only think of of the bad they do and and that can become a, a real problem because as you said I agree completely that that flight has made the world a smaller place and it it's so important to be able to understand different cultures and meet different people but there is an element of guilt every time you fly at the moment because right. of what we read on Twitter all the time. Yeah, I mean, there is. And, um, you know, and I think that sort of that this is a two way thing and how, you know, sort of airlines and the aviation industry can be a lot more proactive. But I mean, I was quite encouraged to um, to read that KLM, obviously the Dutch airline, which, as you, you know, as you would expect, given their home market is quite, you know, it's quite proactive in the space, um, have started cancelling one of their Brussels Amsterdam flights. 
um, and introducing a high-speed train instead, um, you know, which I think is sort of is a is a positive step forward. I mean, obviously, if you're flying from Amsterdam to, you know, to Tokyo, you have to fl well. If you're going from Amsterdam to Tokyo, you have to fly. If you're going from Amsterdam to Brussels, you know, which is a two-hour train journey, air travel is not necessary. Um, and it's good to see an airline like like KLM recognize that and to sort of see that its future is more into you know, into obviously serving destinations where there's no other option and, you know, and where there is an option such as a, you know, such as a, a route like that within, you know, within Northwestern Europe is to start shifting passengers onto other forms of transport. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's really, really good. I didn't know about that and I'm, I'm just writing it down to research because I think it's, it's examples like that that really do need to be highlighted and that can set the bar for other companies to follow suit if all we talk about is a negative, no one's got any examples to change, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, even even here in the UK, I mean, obviously, you know, British Airways flies a lot of people between um, Manchester and um, Heathrow, you know, which is a, what is, it's about a 40 minute flight. Um, uh, now, now, clearly, you know, sort of the uh, rail infrastructure is not really up to the sort of to the standard. That's um, a whole different it, problem. Yeah, it is that it, that, it, <laughs> that it should be. But if it were, you know, and there's no reason why those passengers who I think are largely connecting to, you know, sort of to other flights at Heathrow couldn't be, you know, sort of brought down to Heathrow in the you know, sort of for the first part of their journey by, you know, by a high speed rail. But obviously, as you say, that's that's a whole different question, and that leads on to you know sort of um, you know sort of questions of you know government priorities and existing yeah. infrastructure, um, and so on and so forth. The other thing, of course, is that even for some you know short haul flights, there's some communities which have no option. You know, so if you take somewhere in the UK, such as the you know such as the Shetland Islands, um, you know, oh, I mean, course, yeah. communities like that do need um, you know subsidised air travel because it is a you know a vital link for the for the community. No, absolutely, and I think that. It's also important because um, the, the whole situation in the UK needs to be taken in a case-by-case -case basis. Mm. The the way the rail system works and how expensive it is, yeah. it's actually cheaper to fly sometimes than get a train. Yes, it That's is. That's ridiculous. I mean, I remember, absolutely. I mean, I remember I did some work for... Um, from Manchester Airports Group about you know so two three years ago, um, and at the time there was this it was it was it was quite well publicised. There was this um, uh, shopping and money saving blogger, um, and he went from uh, he was trying to go from Sheffield to London, and he figured out that it was cheaper to sort of to go from rather than take the train from Sheffield to London, he went from Sheffield to East Midlands Airport. He flew Ryanair to um, to Berlin. He spent the day in Berlin through a sort of, you know, sort of one of these subsidized tourist passes. Um, he had his lunch. He took a tour of the sort of the city center. He went back to the airport. He flew to Stansted again on yeah. Ryanair, you know, for a sort of for a really cheap fare. And then he came to he came to London. So, you know, sort of so Sheffield, East Midlands Airport, Berlin, Stansted, London was cheaper than taking the train from Sheffield to London. Yeah, and it's and it's not just the train because this affects so many things. The reason we initially moved to Barcelona is because we'd read this article about someone who was commuting from Barcelona to London three days a week because it was cheaper to live in Barcelona and do that flight and everything worked out that he had like £500 extra a month by doing Right, that. right, because yeah, because... I Absolutely, because on that flight, you know, you, on that route, you have a lot of competition. You have Welling, you have, you know, you have obviously Ryanair, you have British Airways, you have Iberia, you know, and if you're smart enough, which I'm sure this individual was, instead of in booking in advance, you can really save a lot of money. Of course, of course. So there are a lot of issues and and it's difficult to 
to look at something like flight and and view it as an evil when there's so many people who it is the only option the cheapest option of, of getting somewhere there's other things that need to be fixed sometimes right yeah absolutely so I, the last thing I wanted to touch on is uh, we started the conversation talking about fake followers. I know it's something you've been interested in for, for quite a long time. Um, how did you get interested in the subject? Yeah, so um, so about five or six years ago, um, I just sort of off a whim, I decided to um, to do a project involving um, the website Fiverr, you know, which is a sort of a, you know, a, 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 a micro gig site where you pay people you know, sort of five pounds and upwards to do like little jobs, um, you know, and I thought it'd be quite an amusing thing to do sort of to create a Tumblr um, for this. Um, and I called it the Fiverr Project. Um, and I started off by doing, you know, like silly little jobs, like I got someone to stand in front of the, um, uh, you know, sort of the Hollywood sign in California with a, you know, with a sort of, with a, with a, with a, you know, with a sort of handmade sign on it. Or I got someone to do me a little puppet video, to do me a little jingle, which was quite fun. And then as I was going through these sites, um, I realized that this was a you know, sort of a huge uh, source for people to sell, you know, sort of to sell fake numbers, be it, you know, website visits or followers, et cetera, et cetera. And if you remember at the time, um, clout was actually quite a big thing. And a lot of brands were using clout and clout scores to see whether, you know, a so-called influencer was important. Um, and it was one of these things, if you had a clout score of, of, of 60, um, then you were deemed to be important. And at the time, certain airlines were even allowing you access to their first and business class lounges if you had a cloud score of 60, right? Because then obviously you're important, you talk about them and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So I just wondered to myself, I thought, I wonder if I could just, just create, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, sort of a fake person, um, give him a sort of a cloud score of 60, um, you know, for a cost of less than 40 pounds to show that it could be done. Um, and I did, and I created this, <laughs> This character called called Dirk Fiber. Um, you know, I got him a fake Facebook account, fake Instagram account, fake Twitter account. Um, you know, I got him likes, followers, engagement. Um, uh, you know, I got him a fake LinkedIn profile. I even managed to get him fake LinkedIn job recommendations, wow. uh, which which made me wonder. I never followed this through. That I wondered whether I could create someone and get him or her <laughs> job interviews based on a completely fictitious, um, you know, sort of LinkedIn. Um, you know, LinkedIn recommendations, completely fictitious LinkedIn jobs. And I got my cloud score 60. And at the time, you know, what occurred to me was even, I mean, this was, you know, 2013, 2014, was how sophisticated the industry already was. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so if you take, for example, YouTube, you know, at the time, people were already offering um, so-called drip feed views on YouTube, which is obviously, you know, important because what you don't want is you're uploading a YouTube video and you want to show how popular it is. If all of a sudden, if you have... You know, if you have a hundred thousand views that appear overnight, that's going to be suspicious. <laughs> of course. Um, and these sellers were already cottoning on to the fact that you need to offer a service where you can make it look, you know, natural and organic and uh, and, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I mean, it was, um, you know, on this site, it was done where, you know, you had payment protection, so you weren't going to get scammed. Um, you know, these sellers, they had reviews. So, it, you know, it just it just occurred to me just how just how normal this all seemed. It was like going onto eBay, going onto Amazon. Um, you know, and buying yeah. something off a, you know, off a, off a seller there. And that's how I originally got interested into the whole, you know, this whole industry. That's amazing. And when we were talking via email before the conversation, you mentioned about the, the concept of, of being able to get someone an interview. Mm. And uh, I became kind of obsessed with it and, uh, and ran with it a bit in my head. I, I kind of became obsessed with the idea of being able to, to waste someone's time. Like, for example, 
get someone at an interview, but with someone like Elon Musk, right. and then Elon Musk be sat there wondering why someone would stand him up, right? <laughs> or or getting someone an interview for a band like you two who needs a new musician and doesn't turn up, like the fact that stuff like that could possibly be done and has been done. We know it from shows like Catfish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this I mean, this thing can be sort of you know can be used for you know in a number of different ways and they can be used to sort of to sabotage people and to make them you know and to make them look bad you know i mean if you you know if you want to discredit someone you could quite easily let's say you know for lack of a better word follow a bomb um you know where you uh where you pollute their instagram or their twitter account by spending 20 or 30 quid you know if you are malicious enough and sort of and so inclined to sort of to buy a you know a load of fake followers and fake bots um, you know, and send them their way because, of course, the thing about these services is it doesn't have to be your account; it can be any account. You know, that you of can course, do yeah. To. Yeah, no, I've I've seen some examples of of podcasts that have had similar things happen where they talked about certain issues, and overnight they they had so many negative reviews coming in from bots, and uh, and there's nothing that can be done. Apple won't do anything. Apple Podcasts won't do anything about it. So they're they're tainted then they're there even though it's it's quite obvious that they're bots and that's something else that needs to be fixed absolutely i mean it's a problem on, on websites like like tripadvisor right i mean there have been all these yeah. uh, reports recently about the number of fake hotel reviews that appear on tripadvisor i mean i guess not only from you know if you run a hotel that you funnel in various you know sort of fake reviews to show how great your hotel is but there's there could be arguably you know you might be tempted to sort of to go to your competitor and you know and start pushing in a bunch of one one or two star reviews and it's interesting because it plays on and i know this is again going really off topic but i just find it really fascinating it plays on quite a negative aspect of of what already exists in 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 human personality right absolutely these review sites are supposed to be for quite honest reviews but sometimes you'll get people who walk into a vegan restaurant and didn't realize it was vegan and then leave a one-star review without eating anything there. Uh, that's just something that is baffling to the human mind, but that then other people can play with because it's not that weird to see a load of one-star reviews with no, with nothing written next to them. It's it's kind of normal. We're we're used to it. Yeah, and uh, and I guess the problem is is that you know is that a lot of us have been given this power, you know, sort of to really, um, uh, you know, sort of to to really, if we take the example of restaurants and, or hotels. To really make or break their business, where the sort of where yeah. the you know where the effort level and the entry level is actually very very low. Yeah, it's true, and you see it with like YouTube videos and things like that. That I always say the energy it takes to go and leave a, a negative review for something that's quite minor, like th- there must be something wrong if you don't realise that that energy could be put to better use. Of course. Well, I think that uh, that's enough going off topic. And, and Dirk, I've I've had such a good chat. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. Well, likewise, is there, thank you. Is there anything you wanted to leave our listeners with? Anything that you think is an important, an important point to keep from this conversation? Uh, no, I mean, obviously, if people want to get in contact with me, you know, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and the uh, and the publication I edit is called Airline Marketing Monthly, where I you know where I talk about some of these themes in more in more detail. Perfect. And all the links will be in the description for that as well. Thanks a lot, Dirk. It's been great. 
I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast and I would love to hear some feedback from you. What can I be doing differently? What am I doing right? What other guests would you like on? What information has helped you the most from our guests on the podcast so far? All that would be really encouraging as well as following the podcast, giving this a like, giving it a share, giving us a review if you're listening via Apple Podcasts. All that stuff really, really, really helps. And the description for Dirk and everything he's worked on is below as well as the description and links and a discount code for our sponsors Nextstand and all their wonderful products. So again, thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time. Create, you know, a sort of a fully formed fake personality have him or her appear as an influencer and potentially, you know, sort of earning money, getting freebies, uh, you know, and, and, and so on and so on and so forth.